Hey everyone, welcome back to the Tech Seeking Human podcast. It's been a while. Claire, um, where have you been? Well, not for you, for me. What, what have you been doing? Uh, I've been working. Yeah, oh. Do you know about work? I do. Well, I did take a little bit of a break um, and invested time in recording an album, which I hope to release soon. Oh, see the plug? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to make me any money, so I probably will be working. Oh. Are you looking forward to being back on the podcast? I didn't know I'd left. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we sort of had a bit of a hiatus. I, I don't know if I it did. was... I I don't know. I think, um, you know, looking for a job, getting a job, starting the job. It's um, pretty full on. Yeah, I don't know. You, you, you need to get some better guests. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you're back? So Claire's come back better to the guests. podcast. That's really bad. Claire's, I loved all the guests. <laughs> Claire's come back to the podcast because now we have an AI thought leader... Mm. General manager of uh, Deloitte uh, practice or yeah. focused around AI and because she's a female tech leader who's super intelligent, you decide to turn up. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I'll join that one. Yeah. You pick and choose. Yeah, um, why not? Yeah, I guess not? if you can. Well, you know, I'm not being paid. So. Well, we, we don't make money off this podcast for anyone that wants to donate sponsorship or episodes. We're really open to it. The whole reason why we started this podcast, though, was so we can learn from people. Yeah, exactly. And um, it makes me read books. I read this book uh, from Bina and I did um, Amanath. And um, it's a business guide for navigating trust and ethics in AI. Right. It reads a little bit like Jean Kim's Phoenix Project where she uses... Uh, fictional company to yeah I read (laughs) well that's why I do podcasts so I can read with people about people as we do the podcast (laughs) otherwise I have no reason and they sign books for me and then I have signed copies so when she's an international megastar I have the signed copy and I have lots of books over there that I've been reading it forces me to do it you've got them on on display and I think they were here last time no no so you can't see it but I have like all the people that we interviewed on our podcast over there, Gene Kim and oh, Max Tegmark and yep. Hannah Fry and Ellen Broad. That's, that's a plug for all the other episodes you've probably <laughs> missed and should go back and watch. But today, Bina is going to take us on a journey around AI and yep. tell us a little bit about like how companies are leveraging it, why they're leveraging it, what could they're possibly go wrong. AI and then they're not getting outcomes. Yep. Yeah, like I think that's pretty topical. I heard a statistic that's like seventy-five percent of AI projects fail, which yeah. is it's huge. If at first you don't succeed, you got to pick yourself up and try again. Yep, get those people on board. So should we get Beena on and we'll talk about? Yes. What are we supposed to do? No, she'll tell us. I'm ready. She will. Yep. All right, let's get her on. This is Beena Amanath on trustworthy AI on the Tech Seeking Human podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Bina, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Dave and Claire. And actually, for anyone who doesn't know the behind the scenes that goes on in a podcast, we spent, what do you reckon, Bina, 15 to 20 minutes trying to get audio working for our particular software. Do you reckon they could have developed a trustworthy AI that can get an audio sync to work with these software programs so we don't waste so much time doing these podcasts? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we're going to get there, you know, but it's also a reality check of where things are in the real world, right? You know, there's nobody taking over our jobs yet. There's nobody, you know, trying to 
um, replace all work that humans do. Uh, I think we still need humans. And uh, given that we spent almost half an hour going back and forth trying to fix this, I, I think I think we're okay for now. But doesn't the media tell us? The media tell it tells us that the AI is coming. We have autonomous vehicles, according to what people believe. They think the Teslas are driving themselves, even though we know they're not. <laughs> Isn't are we are we marketing it ahead of ourselves? Yeah, you know we live in this um, hype cycle, right? Everything is uh, on clickbait, and uh, you know how many clicks can you get? Um, unfortunately, that era is driving a lot of the headlines, and that's why you see more of that extreme scenarios. It's either all good or it's all all worse, right? So it's the best possible scenario and the worst possible scenario that you hear. But rea the reality is, in the real world, you know, we are very much in the middle, solving the boring problems. That's all AI can do today. Um, now, you know, there are advances happening in certain parts, obviously. Uh, but it's not it's not across the board, across all industries, across all possible jobs. It really depends on the industry and the use case. Which which industries? So so there's this middle ground that we're not hearing about, yeah. right? And I think this was a question you were sort of thinking about when both Claire and I have worked in tech for a long time, and so we probably hear, well, every company in tech is leveraging AI. Absolutely. Well, yeah, exactly. And I'd love to hear Bina's thoughts in terms of, you know, the leaders in, in um, AI and what type of AI. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, let me take a step back. So we did a survey earlier this year to answer that question exactly. And we surveyed about uh, 2,600 uh, 2, executives across the globe to find out, you know, what they were seeing and what was going on in their organization. And you'll be surprised, but 94% of business leaders surveyed agree that AI is critical to success over the next five years. And 79% of them say they have fully deployed three or more AI applications. And that number is actually growing. This is an annual survey we do. So last year it was 62%, this year it is 79%. The real challenge is coming in, you know, how much outcome or how much output are they seeing by deploying, you know, so much AI. And that's where going to my earlier point, right? A lot of it is in still in the exploratory phase. We are still figuring out there is no fixed playbook. Where, where we're seeing the most advances from an industry perspective are the well, the naturally the data intensive ones, right? Uh, healthcare, uh, life sciences, financial sector, and so on. Um, but you know there is still a lot of challenges around scaling the AI, even though all business leaders are keen to get started. Uh, and Dave and Claire, you know, one thing I would like to clarify is, you know, th th there's also this notion that it's a one size fits all. Right. Whereas I like to think of it as the companies that existed before the Internet era versus the, you know, the newer big tech companies, so to speak. You know, obviously, you know, how you use AI within the post-Internet era companies versus the pre-Internet, there, there is a huge difference. And uh, and that's where when I say life sciences, healthcare, FSI, those are more of those legacy, non-digitally native industries where we're seeing a lot of traction. But there's obviously a lot of traction happening in the big tech industry where, you know, AI is embedded within their products and is driving more revenue models. And so we, we have to make a distinction of, you know, 
the company's, uh, uh, you know, origin, where are they in their digital journey that themselves to see how much of AI they're using. That's a really good point. Because as that number increased, you said 93% of organizations have deployed an AI. I started thinking about, are they answering it in terms of, well, we bought a product that has embedded AI in that product. Therefore, we're leveraging yeah. an AI model. Like, does that skew it? And do you have a sense for like, what percentage of people, because that's easier, because like, you didn't develop the AI, right? And you've bought the off-the-shelf product that gives you an AI versus you're collecting data and training models and deploying AI and then using more of a broad-based AI platform to get your results or an algorithm. Do you have a sense of like what percentage is in that ballpark where they're a little bit more advanced and they're customizing their own algorithms? Yeah, we, we haven't seen that level of detail. It is uh, almost always, it's AI cannot be just part of the shelf without, you know, the organization having their own data, uh, unless it is a very, you know, narrow specific use case. You have to have the data available, your organizational data available to be able to train the AI solution that you buy. Um, so if you're not a digitally native company, you probably don't have a, the historical data needed to deploy the AI within your organization. Um, so we, we are seeing scenarios where companies are also struggling in terms of just, you know, having an AI ready culture, right? Having uh, the talent that's needed, even if you buy the AI solution, uh, it the, the kind of maintenance that needs to be done, uh, you know, the operations, the scaling it out, uh, training employees on how to use the solution. Those are all things that any organization has to do, irrespective of whether they buy the AI solution or whether they build the AI solution. So it's, uh, it's, it really depends on where they are in their culture readiness for adopting AI. Yeah, and I, we were listening just before you. You put up a video of um, who was yeah. talking in that video. That was uh, Dr. Katrina Wallace. Well, and okay. she's an AI expert here locally uh, in Australia, and she was just talking about how AI is really the power of AI and how big it is. With no, it has no rules, no regulations. Yet, yeah, you know, it's similar to when fire was discovered, and you know. <laughs> And I thought, wow, you know, it's putting that into perspective a little bit. And yeah, like, where are we going with regulation in terms of AI? So fire is a great, you know, comparison. I usually use the comparison of, you know, uh, of auto engine, right? When the first car was invented, when the first engine was created, right? And you're, you're seeing where the engine has been created. We've, been, we've put body, a body on it, right? It can be any kind of model, but it's the, you know, you are able to get from point A to point B faster, even though that engine is not fully developed. And in this case, I'm talking about AI as that engine, right? And we are able to drive it on whatever roads we have. But the reality is the speed limits are not defined. The lanes are not drawn up. The, you know, we, we don't have seat belts, right? So we are in that era where while the engine is still being developed in the labs, it's being used in real world because it is helping us get from point A to point B faster. And we are driving on roads that are yet to be built. So it's this interesting era where our generation actually has the opportunity to define what those speed limits should be, what those, uh, you know, what, what, whether we need seat belts, 
And it, you know, it's never going to be a one size fits all. We think about AI regulations as this one thing, whereas it is going to be as nuanced, even more nuanced than speed limits, right? Speed limits in Australia versus Germany versus US versus India, extremely different. So how can we expect there to be a one regulation for AI? It is just, it is just this interesting phase where everything is coming at us. And we have this once in a lifetime opportunity to actually figure this out. I mean, how cool is that? It's so, you know, it's such a good point that you raised. And Bina, I read your book, um, Trustworthy AI. So if anyone hasn't already picked up a copy, they definitely should. And you used that analogy in the book. And I'm glad you mentioned it because it really made me visually understand where we're at with something that's so abstract like ai is really abstract it's not a thing you can't really understand what it is it's an intelligence of some sort and you're going to define it and you did do a good job of that in the book but the analogy of the car and when yeah. henry ford invented this car and then we just started driving and people started running into each other and running people over and we had all sorts of problems and eventually to your point we had to create seat belts and stop signs and we had to have roads with lanes and we had to have yeah. limits and speed cameras and we're still trying to figure it out and actually the most shocking statistic that i read in your book and i know this isn't real i mean it, it's interesting all the same it said one in 107 i was trying to find it People, one in 107 likelihood of being killed by a car in the US, one in 107. I remember reading it. I can't find it right now off the top of my head. But do you remember putting that in there? The motorbike. No, it was a car. And the the argument was an autonomous vehicle has one in 10,000 likelihood, you know, maybe because there's not that many of them on the road, but clearly they're developed to stop humans from doing and hitting people like it, it's augmenting our intelligence and making it better it's pretty yeah it's, it's, i guess there's two things and i'm trying to get to the question which is really difficult for me the first part of the question is amazing analogy of the car and where are we at with ai today like are we still painting the the road and putting the lines on the road and the second yeah. part is just the augmentation of the intelligence and the analogy then to deaths and the consequences of yeah. getting it wrong that was sort of a question yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just say if the car analogy, the difference between that time and this time is, you know, there was no social media. So it didn't get to amplify to these extremes where, you know, everybody was, you know, getting hyped up or worried. And, you know, we were, you know, there were few folks, you know, the experts from each field came together, figured it out and moved along, right? Every country figured it out for their own. And maybe that's how we need to think about AI and regulations as well. You need to ignore the noise to a large extent to be able to make progress. Because you and I both know as techies that, you know, there is not going to be just one regulation, just like AI is the type of AI you use is based on the use case, right? Uh, It is the regulation, the rules, the best practice is going to be based on the use case, right? And uh, uh, so th- that's that's part one. Part two, to your point, uh, is uh, you know uh, we b- just because it's a machine that's doing it, our expectation for the margin of error is very different than what a human would do, right? We would we have uh, you know a higher tolerance for the margin of error when humans are performing that exact same task, whereas with machines there is an expectation that it would be much much you know lower 
And um, and it could be that case uh, in some time in the future, but you also have to train that AI as much, you know, to make it robust enough to be able to be better that, than humans uh, in terms of the error rate. Uh, you know, and it's um, it, it, it's it's hard because we are in this fuzzy evolving phase at this point. It's hard to you know focus on just one area and solve for it and try to think of the extremes. Let me let me use the example of bias, right? That's the one thing you hear every time you bring up AI and ethics. You know, bias is that common theme that you hear. And the reality is, you know, bias may not be relevant in certain AI use cases. It really depends on the use case. Uh, bias, if you are trying to predict, you know, a machine failure, you know, it probably is not going to be a big factor because unless it's touching human data, bias doesn't even come into play. And a lot of work that's done in the industrial space with AI is without human data. So bias doesn't come into play. And, uh, but when bias does come into play, you know, going back to that question of margin of error, let me use an example. So bias and uh, facial recognition, we've all seen the headlines uh, every time, right? When uh, facial recognition is used in a law enforcement scenario, if it is biased and it is uh, flagging innocent people as criminals, that's a terrible thing, right? Bias in that scenario is intolerable. But right here, you know, we we I'm, I know of companies using that exact same technology in the exact same like location to identify human trafficking victims and kidnapping victims, right? And it's the exact same technology. It is tagging a potential kidnapping victim or a human trafficking victim. Now the question is, you know, is the algorithm performing better than with human eyesight only? If the algorithm is helping you rescue 60% more or even 30% more than you could without, if you didn't use it, is it still worth using the algorithm? So you have to be able to define the metrics, the margins that's acceptable. And it's about, it's come down to those stakeholders to then say, yes, it's helping us rescue, you know, not 100%, but 60%, which is better than not rescuing them at all, right? So, you know, maybe it should be used in that scenario, right? So that's why I think this topic really needs to be solved, you know, from the use case perspective for us to make real progress. And and also it's about the AI working with people, like not on yes. its own. Yeah. So, and that comes back to also in organizations where you're deploying your AI in your company. And if you just do it in a silo sort of um, area of the business, then it'll probably fail because you need an yeah. end for productivity to happen. So that comes back to culture. Yeah, there is, you know, you cannot have just a bunch of techies, data scientists or data geeks going and building it in silo without, uh, you know, what, uh, thinking about is the culture ready for acceptance? Because you can build the best AI with the best accuracy rate, if, but if nobody is using it, it's a failed project. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is there is a lot of hype around this topic. There's a lot of fear uh, of, you know, AI taking over jobs. And so, you, you know, people who don't understand, who are not AI fluent, AI savvy, 
worry about it, right? If they use that software, maybe their jobs will be gone, right? So, you know, it needs to go hand in hand with driving that AI fluency, AI education. You need to bring your entire organization along the journey. It, this cannot be just an IT project. Right for a, an organization to succeed, it's you know the, there has to be executive buy-in, but there also has to be buy-in from every employee who feels comfortable on you know the company's AI strategy, how, you know how it is going to help them do their jobs. That's the level of uh, you know that's the level of detail that needs to go into the thinking that needs to go into to make it successful. And, and that would have a lot to do with trust because. I, I used to um, get I used to rally around a particular statistic that said something like seventy five percent of um, of AI projects fail, and I don't mm -hmm. know what, I don't know what the number is now, but I guess um, I'd love to hear from you. That how how do you make it successful? Then is it about breaking it down and taking people along for the ride? And and presumably, like in these large organisations, people have been through COVID, they've been through working from home, they've had a lot of change, and all of a sudden you hear about recessions and inflation and then you've got senior leadership going, oh yeah, and by the way, we're going to start deploying an AI as well now. Yeah. Like the, the trust level must be pretty low. How, like what's, yeah. what, what are your tips for people yeah. and, and, and how do you make the project successful? How do you flip that 75% around from failure to success? So if leadership isn't bought it, right, there's a lack of executive commitment. That's a big challenge because as, as, I, as we spoke about earlier, there needs to be a culture change. There needs, every employee needs to be bought in. So, you know, starting with the leadership buy-in, that's, that's usually number one. And then number two is really on managing AI-related risk. Just as, you know, you and I, as general citizens, read about the ethics risk or bias in AI, you know, there's also a hesitancy on, you know, we don't know what kind of additional risks we might be taking and we don't know how to mitigate it. So, you know, there's a fear of, you know, taking on risky project, which which doesn't, you know, which doesn't really help AI reach its full potential. And then the focus on, you know, uh, how do you maintain it? How do you support it post-launch? AI is not just to build it once and deploy it and, you know, it'll, it's going to stay consistent. It's not like traditional software. It is going to evolve and change as the machine learning model gets more robust and is fed different kinds of data. So having a clear plan on how do you support it post-launch, I think that's that's one of the reasons as well. Um, and in terms of you know driving that uh, learning and AI fluency, let me give you an example of something that I've experienced as well. Uh, is you know like one of the things I highly encourage is uh, you know make sure everybody in your organization understands AI when they read a headline they are they they know what it means when they are trying to use an AI solution they know they are reassured that it's not going to take away their job right uh, it's going to help make their jobs easier like we talk a lot about you know how AI is going to take the boring rudimentary tasks and automate it so that you can focus more on the creative part. But think of it from, you know, say an X-ray machine operator, right? Where we are using AI to do that first analysis of the X-ray and provide recommendations. Now it's helping speed up the process from a patient perspective, and it's going to free up time for the X-ray machine operator. But the question that comes in this person's mind is, but it's not like humans are not suddenly going to break more bones and are going to need more X-rays. So what are they supposed to do with that free time? 
right? And that's where really leadership needs to come in and say, yes, it is going to free up time. And here are some of the other cool things you could be doing, right? Because when you look at it from a worker's perspective, it freeing up time is not as reassuring because then, you know, the job is reduced. We are used to this mindset, right? So I think that it is much more nuanced than just saying, yes, you know, you, humans working with machines and freeing up time from boring tasks, but what, what happens in that free time? Yeah. And it's like continuous learning, like companies reinvesting in education so mm -hmm. they can predict sort of particular industries that might need to evolve a little bit. Like, I don't think it's any on any company's agenda to go, well, let's just get an AI in and sack everyone. I think if yeah. you ask any CIO or CTO or CEO, um, and I should have just said executive team, they would say retaining staff and hiring really good people is really important. And I think this was in your report that there was some statistic that's a percentage of people that really want to embrace AI. Like they actually find they're not scared of it. They're actually yeah. think this could be really good for them in the future. But yeah, it's an education process, isn't it? And, and it's such a good yeah. point. I never really thought about that in terms of, you know, freeing up time that, that could create a lot of anxiety with people's roles. And if it's not explained what the journey is going to be, okay, once that AI is put in place, you know, of course, you know, every, every role is different and, and some are more administrative and what, what does happen. So I think it's, it's a bigger, it's such a bigger, there's such a bigger picture at play with, with that. And then there's a skill short shortages. So it's, yes, you know, it's, it's all coming at us in a way. <laughs> yes. But I look at it as an opportunity. Like how cool is it for us, this generation to figure this, mm. this really complex, naughty, you know, problem and you know get get to a solution right not a solution but solution across the board how big is this can i can i put a number where are we with an industry around ai and one being we're really only in its infancy and when we're we've got a long long way to go clearly five we're, we're sort of we're doing okay we're about halfway there and nine like yeah no it's pretty saturated we're doing pretty well where do you think we are in terms of just the the evolution of AI and the potential of where we're going? Oh, I think we are very much in the infancy. There is still, because remember that car engine is still being developed. It, not all the kinks have figured out. Like there is re really cool new stuff coming at us, whether it's, you know, the work that the research work that's going on with generative AI and lang large language models, that's going to change a lot of things as well. And we've just started it, right? So we, I, if, if I had to put a number, I would say we are between two and three in terms of the potential of AI impacting all industries and the kind of use cases that we, you, you'll see coming at us. Just even with AI, it's still early, but think of the potential when AI and you know NFT and crypto and metaverse, you know, all of those come together, right? When these emerging technologies blend together those scenarios are going to be even more powerful. So we are very much in the infancy. Deloitte has built a huge practice around AI. So like, and whenever I travel through the airport, I see ads yeah. and they're focused on AI now and the possibilities. Yeah. So obviously the company as well is really well positioned to, um, to, to take, you know, take companies by the hand and lead them towards a, a future AI. 
Yeah, the, the, the challenge is because it's so early on, there is no one single playbook, right? We hear about there being no regulations, but there's really no best practices playbook, you know, for every possible industry, every use case. And it's, it's kind of an, a phase where you have to collaborate, you have to learn from the ecosystem to grow your own business. And the ecosystem includes your uh, academic partners, your uh, alliance partners, your research teams. So you have to be able to tap into the ecosystem to really thrive in this age of AI. So give us something uplifting, Bina. Like where, give, us a, give us a story that will get us excited and make us want to go out and become data scientists and mess with algorithms and deploy AI in, into companies. You know, I am very excited about, you know, what we'll see in the healthcare space for too long. You know, it's been a one size fits all. It's been more focused on, you know, uh, uh, on providing medication uh, on a one size fits all basis. But we realize there is uh, an opportunity to do more personalized medicines. Right. And uh, and also get more predictive. Like I see such uplifting news on uh, AI being able to predict certain kinds of illnesses based on how you walk or how you speak. And, you know, I think there is so much power in there. Uh, I also am very excited about, you know, AI's potential in education. That's another area where if you think about it, you know, our ancestors, the ancestors before that, you know, all have had this one education model of one teacher to, you know, I studied in a school where we had 50 students in one class. My son goes to school where there's 30 students in one class. So one is too many, right? I think uh, what I've also learned that education and how you learn is, you know, extreme. There are different six different ways you learn. So imagine the power of AI to being able to provide that personalized education. And then you connect it with the power of 5G and network and things we are doing with IoT and Edge. You know, we can truly take education to the remotest parts of the world and really uplift an entire population because I do believe that there is a cure for every ailment uh, in, you know, some human brain that we just need to tap into via education. So I am personally very excited about the excitement uh, about, you know, the power of AI in healthcare and in education. Oh, that's awful. That's awesome. Yeah, that's because I'd, I'd like my kids to learn through an AI that isn't YouTube and TikTok. Yeah. I think that would be really beneficial for us. But, but to your point, like one to 30, I think we made big inroads during COVID because even my kids now have sort of specialist teachers. And But I think mm -hmm. personalization, they want to learn differently. They want to learn different things. Yeah, and why so do we have cool, the same part. course that we've always had throughout and, time? And that's just going to get really big. I think personalization in terms of everything that we do and that's where we have high expectations of the ai then because yes. you just you expect it so yeah a couple of rapid fire questions for you to wrap up you gave an example earlier about an ai that profiled facial recognition and could help uh, reduce kidnapping and and other such things is it okay for the government to deploy an ai throughout society and profile everyone it's a bit controversial it depends on the use case. That's a pretty pretty good political answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you, you expect? Okay, okay. Here's another one then. Um, will AI cure cancer within the next five years? With human help, yes. Uh, dinner party guest. You've got three dinner party guests that you're inviting over, dead or alive. Who's coming to your dinner party? 
Ada Lovelace, Einstein, and Thomas Edison. Oh, who's the first one, Lovelace? Can you? She is the first data scientist ever. She wrote the first algorithm. She is a British woman, and uh, Ada Lovelace. So you have three very smart people coming to your dinner party. I think I'd be a little intimidated (laughs) being at that dinner party. Hey, being a last question, what advice would you give to your your 18-year-old self? Uh, I would say everything is going to be all right. You know, I studied AI and it was all in textbooks. I never imagined it would become real in my own lifetime. Even personalized marketing was considered you know, an extreme case scenario. We didn't have access to data or cloud or, you know, it just, there, there was no way anything could have been done. But, you know, I'm an optimist and I am just so happy to be alive and watch this technology evolve during my own lifetime. I'm so excited. So I would say, you know, it's uh, you you are on the right path. Oh, that's awesome. It's so wonderful to follow you on LinkedIn and see your passion for AI and all the reports that Deloitte are putting out are really, really good reading for anyone that, yeah, Yeah. for anyone that wants to um, dive in and your book, Um, which I should also mention. So I really enjoyed the book. It's a practical guide to all the different types of AI that can be deployed and the types of guardrails that we should put around it. And I would talk to you for hours, um, but you know, you, you probably would prefer to talk to Einstein, Einstein and Lovelace. Mm-hmm. Bina, it's been wonderful having you on our podcast. Thank you so much. Um, sorry about the AI in the software that couldn't quite get our audio to work. It's but an um, audio issue that you've got to look into. <laughs> like all good things, we resorted to Zoom and it just seemed to work when we did Zoom. So it's been wonderful having you on the show and, um, and yeah, look forward to following you more on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thanks, Pino. That was a really cool chat. I really, I mean, aside from using up, you know, we had 50 minutes to spend with Bina roughly. Mm-hmm. We used 20 minutes on getting the audio to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we only had a 30 minute window she to- She was um, very gracious about it. She was very good. Yeah. What's your key takeaways? Key takeaway is that she was super positive. So very optimistic. Mm. Uh, always looked at the education side, the healthcare side, I thought was really good, you know, takeaway from it. It's like AI for good, right? Yeah. Like not just for corporate, not for profiling CVs and resumes and data profiling, but what is AI going to do for the betterment of society? Betterment. Betterment. Is that a word? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, we'll go with it. Yep. Betterment. Yep. My key takeaway is 93% of organizations have deployed an AI. Which that doesn't surprise me. I wonder what the seven percent are Huge, doing. But, but it's a big it's a big number. And and even for executives, and that was it was from their report. Um and uh some executives might not even know that it's been deployed, but it's interesting that they do know, which shows the maturity now of where we're at with AI. And yet hmm. the results also showed that the majority of AI projects fail. So even though the, I was still quoting that the stat. The outcomes are low. The outcomes are low. Yeah. So you've got to lower expectations. So as Bina was saying, we're in a hype cycle. Mm. Yeah. It's a little bit like going to the gym and expecting to get a result within four weeks. If you just do Peloton for four weeks every single day, you're going to have a difference compared to doing it for two years. It's continuous development and continuous evolution. You, you love it when I bring it back to Peloton, don't you? <laughs> yeah. But it's actually true. Like it's sort of like fitness. If you can do fitness continually and you deploy AI, yeah. you retrain, you relearn, you educate, you get positive yeah. affirmations, 
you... no, no one wants to be preached at. Let's just keep it. No, I was going back to the AI at that point. <laughs> I was thinking about how they would do that within an organization. So I think it's it's interesting. We're at the infancy. We're really early on. Yeah, in... and she said that. Yeah. Like between a scale of one to ten. Two to three. Yeah, you know, we should have kept that a secret so everyone would watch it. This should is the seen. end. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> so good to have you back. Um, it's been really great. Uh, clearly, you've not missed a step since you've been gone. Um, but, you know, this is why we do the podcast. It's fun. Well, he's got the full-time job. <laughs> uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, it's great having Claire back. And uh, um, it, for those that don't know, what actually is being produced in the end is a series of edits um, that we had to go through just to finish it. So you know, she behaves herself really well during the podcast, and then we get to the outro, and it's the loose caboose. So um, you know, got places to be, gotta go, gotta go. So <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe if you made it this far um, on the various channels. Share with your friends too, because um, and if you've got guests that we should have on the show, we would love to hear from yeah. it because my ability to recruit people is a little lazy. Yeah, all different kinds of tech, all different types have. of tech. Yeah, have a great week. See you later. Bye.